Amen. You can be seated. So tonight, as Simone shared at the very beginning of the service, is Expectation Sunday. And every single Expectation Sunday, which we've had three of them so far, um, every one of them is a little bit different. The very first one that we had, uh, we focused on kind of depositing the rejection that you feel uh, before the Lord and then taking the acceptance found in communion. The second expectation Sunday, we, we went together as a church through a guided meditation, exploring silence and exploring um, the practice, the ancient Christian practice of meditation so that we might uh, come to experience God's presence in a different way, maybe than we're accustomed to. Last month for expectation Sunday, we were focusing on uh, dealing with some of the doubts and questions that we have and we had a live Q&A, and then we had a follow-up two days later at our event called At the Table on Tuesday night, where we texted in questions, and we responded and worked through it together, and you guys got to put me on the hot seat. And then later, we did a little bit more of that uh, on Tuesday, which was great. This Expectation Sunday, which is the last one before we take a break for the summer and then restart in the fall, is focused, as I said, on healing, on surrender, and on really trusting the promises of God. Last week, we started a new series, which was entitled The Race. We're tracing the life of the Apostle Paul through the book of Acts. And we started at the very beginning of Paul's race of faith. See, the Apostle Paul compares the Christian life, including his life, to a race. He says that we are to run this race of life, this race of faith, well with the ultimate prize being Christ himself. And so Paul... He lived that out himself, and we're going to trace his life and see what the Christian life looks like because we encounter some of the very things that he encountered. Now, last week was the very beginning of this race. Paul was on a mission to destroy the name of Jesus. He wanted to wipe the name of Jesus off the face of the earth because Paul, he was devoted to his faith, but it was his Jewish faith. He believed in Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew God. And he saw Christianity as an existential threat that he needed to remove. And so he took up this charge and this ambition to go all throughout Jerusalem to the extending cities and round up Christians, which he had been given the authority to do from the high priest, to find Christians, round them up, imprison them, put them up, put them up for charges, and many of them were stoned to death for their faith. Paul, as we saw last week, is on his way to Damascus to do this very thing when, shockingly, especially for him, he experiences the risen Jesus. This is his conversion experience. It's dramatic. He has this conversation with Jesus who identifies with his church, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And here in this moment, when Paul comes to faith, as he will refer to many times in the letters, this was the moment that he came to faith in not just the God of the Old Testament, but the true God, which has been there since the very beginning, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was, the Messiah who died for sin, was buried, and resurrected. So he has this encounter and he's blinded and he's taken by the companions that are with him into the town of Damascus, into this person's house where he is for three days blind. He doesn't know much. He just knows Jesus is God. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus cares very much about his church and that God has a plan and a purpose for him, but he doesn't know what it is yet. 
Now we're in Acts chapter 9. We're going to be in this chapter for a couple weeks. And the story shifts to a different character whose name is Ananias. And God has a purpose and a mission for him too that involves Paul. Who at this point in his life goes by the name Saul. He will later, as we said last week, change his name officially to Paul. So here's what God's word says to us in Acts chapter 9. You can turn there or look on the screen or check the notes section in the app. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 16. Here's what we're going to read together. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's what's happening in the next part of the story. As I said, Paul is still blind. He is in this house. He doesn't know what God has for him. He doesn't know when his blindness is going to be removed. He's praying. God comes to Ananias, who's from Damascus. He lives there. He knows this city very well. And he comes to him in a vision and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this specific house on this specific street. Find this man named Saul. Lay your hands on him. Pray for his healing so that he might see. Now, Ananias initially is very resistant to this vision. He doubts God's vision for him. And what God wants him to do. And he says, why? He says, God, I know who this man is. This is Saul of Tarshish who's coming from Jerusalem who has authority been given to him by the chief priests. And he has come to this city to find people like me to round us up and to take us back to Jerusalem to put us up on charges. To imprison us or stone us to death. This is what he knows. He doesn't know at the moment the conversion experience that Paul has undergone. And yet as he's listening to God speak, God tells him to go to this man and to bring his sight back by laying hands on him. And when he shares his discontent with God's vision and his doubt and concern, God responds to him. And his response is very clear and it's very empathetic. You see, he doesn't come to Ananias who understandably has some reservations about this vision or this conversation with God. And God does not come to Ananias and shame him. He comes and he says, listen, one, very clearly, you need to go. You need to go to Saul, lay your hands on him, bring healing. For he is my chosen instrument and I have a purpose for him. Here's the purpose, Ananias. You don't fully understand it. That's okay. But here's what it is. He's going to take my name. To the Gentiles, meaning to the non-Jews, as the gospel at this point is going out from Jerusalem slowly all across the Roman Empire. 
See, Ananias would understand this because he's not in Jerusalem. He's in Damascus. And he's taking the gospel to that city. And now he understands that God's purpose for Saul is to take the gospel all throughout the Roman Empire. He gives him very clear directions. He has a purpose. You may not understand it, but he has a purpose. But he also empathizes with Ananias. I want you to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. Ananias, his reservations are not only because he probably thinks it's probably good that he's blind. Let's keep him that way. Because one, he deserves it for what he's done. Secondly, then he can round up any of the Christians if he can't see them. You know what I mean? Hide and go seek, but you never open your eyes. So he's, he's very resistant. But then at the same time, his issue, which we see because of how God responds, is that Saul has inflicted so much suffering and pain upon the church. Ananias probably has friends that have been round up and imprisoned and stoned to death because of Saul and men like him. And so he's concerned that God is going to bring this healing to him, but he's been a man that has inflicted so much pain. So God says to them very clearly, you need to go. I have a purpose for him. It's bigger than you could understand. He's a chosen instrument of mine for my name, not his name, my name. But I want you to also understand that he's not going to be devoid of suffering. In fact, the race that he's going to run, the life that he's going to lead is going to be full of suffering. He is going to ironically experience in his life the very type of suffering that he previously, before he encountered me, Jesus, on the road to Damascus, was looking to inflict upon other people. He is going to face a life of suffering. I will teach him that, that the race that he is to run is full of suffering. Remember, the Apostle Paul compares not only his life, but the life of a Christian to a race. And the race that he speaks about from his own experience that Ananias now understands for himself, but also for Paul, is not a race <coughs> devoid of adversity. It is a race with a lot of adversity, with a lot of suffering, with a lot of pain. It is a long-distance race with obstacles where you trip, where you pull a hamstring, where you fall down, where you feel like you can't go any further. And this is not only just true for Paul. It's not only true for Ananias or the first century church. This is true for us. Our race is the same. You see, we are never promised in this life as followers of Christ, a life free of pain or free of suffering. There is no place in Scripture where it says, hey, if you're having a hard time in life and you're really down and out, come to Jesus and everything will be better. If you've been running the race of faith for any amount of time, you know that's true. It is not easy because life is full of obstacles and pain and trauma and suffering and hardship and heartache and brokenness. That's part of the race that we run. It is not devoid of pain, but the promise that's given to Paul is the same promise given to us that though our life will have suffering, there is purpose in pain. There is still purpose in pain. It is not devoid of suffering, but our life is certainly not devoid of purpose either. There is purpose in the pain that we face because our life is united to Jesus. Right? As we just sang, we surrender all. The Holy Spirit who is given to us as a helper is one who unites us to Jesus and his story. We live a life of the cross. In fact, in Scripture, it tells us that we are to carry our cross. 
But though we live a life of the cross that has suffering and pain and difficulty in it because we're united to Jesus and his story that has suffering, we also given the promise and the hope of resurrection and life and victory. You see, we identify with Jesus in his death, but we also identify with Jesus in his resurrection as we celebrate on Easter a few Sundays back. Our life has pain and suffering, but there is purpose in that pain. That's why Jesus, when his disciples are, are freaking out that Jesus is saying that he's going to leave, that he's going to ascend, they don't want Jesus to leave, he says, don't fear. Why? Because I'm sending someone to you, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the third person of God. And the, the promise in Scripture, which Paul will experience here in a moment when Ananias goes to the house where he is. And the promise that the New Testament shares all throughout is that when you surrender to Jesus and when you come to faith in Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of God, is living and active within you to comfort you and to teach you and to guide you on this race. And Jesus himself says, don't fear, for you have the Holy Spirit who is teaching you the promises of God, applying the promises of God and the future glory that is yours in Jesus to your heart and your mind, to encourage you when the race is difficult to be steadfast. You see, life isn't easy. In fact, I think many of us feel like Ananias at times, where God has a vision for us. Maybe someone has declared something over you. Maybe you, in a time of prayer or meditation or reading God's word, you you begin to see God's purpose for you, but you don't like what you see. You're not where you thought you would be in life. You're not experiencing what you thought you should experience. And, and you kind of come to God kind of like Ananias, like, God, I don't understand. Why? Why are you doing this? Why won't you do that? I don't understand your plan and your purpose for me or maybe for those around me. It's not easy. We have times of doubt, but God is patient with us just like he was patient with Ananias. He comes to us very clearly to tell us what is true. That's why one of the greatest gifts to us as his people is his word. It's very clear, not always easy to hear, like it probably wasn't easy for Ananias to hear, hey, go, I still need you to go to Saul because I have a purpose and a plan for him. You may not understand it, but I need you to go. He's very clear to us too when we read his word. Sometimes it's hard to hear, but it's clear to us. God is clear, but he's also empathetic. You see, one of the greatest gifts, the greatest gift, I would say, for our life as we live is that we have a God who is not only transcendent, but a God who is imminent. We have the word of God that is clear, but we have God himself that is near. The Holy Spirit, the helper given to us who is near to us. And I want you to hear this. This is really important, especially for this time tonight. The Holy Spirit is not passive. Okay, the Holy Spirit is not passive. Sometimes I think we operate in relationship to God, in particular in relationship to the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit is passive. Like, yes, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living and active within you. Great, but the Holy Spirit is kind of waiting for you. He's waiting for you to, to call upon him, to access him. Maybe if, if you have a, a, a bigger theology of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to have more comfort or you're going to be taught more or led more. That The Holy Spirit is kind of waiting. The Holy Spirit is not 
passive. The Holy Spirit is active. Active in his church. He's active in your life. Sometimes you maybe push the Holy Spirit aside and ignore the conviction, the guidance, the leadership, the comfort of the Holy Spirit because you're focusing on other things. But the Holy Spirit is active. In fact, we see all throughout Scripture that as we run this race of faith, with all the difficulties that we will find, each different, but surely a life of difficulty, that the Holy Spirit is giving gifts to the church. For instance, the Holy Spirit is giving spiritual gifts to the church, to individuals in the church. If you're here and you believe in faith in Jesus and you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have gifts. You may not know what they are yet, but you have them. The Holy Spirit is not like waiting to give you a gift. He has given them to you and you need to discover them in community. You have gifts. Secondly, you have the tangible presence of God. We prayed that earlier. You see, the Holy Spirit makes known that God is near to you when you are in times of personal worship and prayer and meditation, reading God's word. And you're sensitive to it. And as it has been promised to us, when we are gathered together as the church, the Holy Spirit is uniquely making known the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is also applying the truths of God and is sealing us with the promises of God in the sacraments which are given to the church, baptism and communion. And something else we see here, which is the focus of tonight, is that there's a gift given to the church that I think is underutilized. We want to change that tonight, and that is the gift of laying of hands and anointing with oil. You see, in Scripture, there is this call to lay hands and anoint with oil to bring about healing and to commission. This is what God says to Ananias. So look what happens in verse 17 through 19. Ananias is told to go, and he's, God is clear with him. He empathizes with him, but he tells him to go, and so Ananias responds. In verse 17, through 19, it says, so Ananias departed, he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, that's Saul or Paul, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight. So he lays hands on him to bring healing so he might regain his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So Ananias goes, he finds Saul, he prays for him, but he prays for him by laying hands on him. He lays hands on him and he declares over him this healing that he will regain his sight and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. At that moment, and it says that something like scales falls from his eyes. Now, in, in Scripture, there's multiple occasions where there is a laying of hands by God's people. There's different uh, encouragements and instructions for the church to have this practice. And it, it's used in two ways. One is for commissioning. So for setting someone apart and sending them out on a mission. So we do that often here at Crossbridge Brickle where we lay hands on new members. We set them apart for deacons and elders when they're called and commissioned into that office in the church. We lay hands on them. When people leave the church and they move to another city or a country, we always try to lay hands on them after the service and commission them out. 
So there's a laying of hands for commissioning, which happens here because God is putting a, a new path and a new purpose and a new race for Paul to run. He's commissioned, but also for healing. See, there's this, this unique gift given to the church to lay hands for healing, to bring about healing, which also is what happens to Paul. And that is something that we do believe and we practice at times here at Crossbridge Brickle of anointing with oil and, and praying laying hands for healing, but it's something that we rarely do. Certainly have never done in a corporate worship environment. But as I said, we're called to run a race. And many of us desire to run the race well. But what is affecting our pace is the brokenness and the, the shame and the difficulties and the, the sicknesses that we struggle with. Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual that slow us down, that trip us up, things that we need to be healed of so that we might run the race well. So I want to ask a couple questions of you tonight. When the Apostle Paul has hands laid upon him by Ananias and he prays over him and his blindness is restored, it says that something like scales falls from his eyes. There's this healing that he experiences in the moment. It says immediately. And I want to ask you a question, which is, what scales need to fall from you? It's not always easy to explore these things, but it's important. What scales need to fall from you? Maybe it's scales of depression, scales of anxiety, of fear. Maybe it's scales of addiction. Maybe it's relational scales. Maybe it's a spiritual struggle or doubt what scales need to fall from you? An ick, a, a, a sickness, an illness, maybe it's scales of shame or of trauma. What needs to be healed so you can regain your pace? See, in the book of James, chapter 5, here's what it says. And I've been telling you that I've, I just believe that this year uh, and, and every year going forward, we should just take God's word seriously. Here's what James chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, or 14 through, 14 through 15 says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise them up. See, the promise here is that if anyone is sick, let them come to the elders of the church. Let them ask for healing to receive the anointing of oil, the laying of hands, so that God might raise them up. Now, I believe that sickness here is, is, is more diverse than simply a physical illness. Sickness is when your natural designed, properly functioning state of being is altered. When there's something foreign that is affecting you that isn't meant to be there. And that could be a physical illness, but it can also be anxiety and depression and addiction and shame and guilt. It can be relational hurt and trauma. There are so many sicknesses that we have that hold us back, that affect us, that alter how we think and how we feel, how we relate to God, how we relate to other people. The command is that we are to come to ask for healing. Through the laying of hands and the anointing with oil. Now, I haven't mentioned the significance of anointing with oil, but let me explain this to you. There is all throughout 
the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, there is this practice of anointing with oil. And it's not because the oil is magic, but it's because God oftentimes uses these physical acts to express a spiritual truth. For instance, we take communion physically. Baptism is a physical encounter. We sing songs with our mouth and we use our hands. We are physical creatures. And so it's a physical act that expresses a spiritual truth. And every time someone is anointed with oil, here's what's being declared. It's you're declaring, God, I'm devoted to you. It's a consecrating act where you're expressing in that act, God, I belong to you. And I am fully committed to your mercy. I am reliant upon your mercy. You see, when it, the command here is to come to the elders and to ask for healing and they anoint with oil and lay hands on you, here's what's being declared. God, I belong to you. I am trusting in your mercy for healing. And I'm believing that you will work through this as a prayer of faith. And we do it not separately, but we do it together because we are God's people and it is a gift to the church. It's not a gift to an individual, it's a gift to the church for us to practice together. I wrote this down. We are the hands of Jesus as we have taken up his race united to him. We are the hands of Jesus trusting in the healing hand of God through the power of the healing helper. You see, the, time, the way that Jesus heals almost every single time in Scripture is through touch. He touches someone who's lame, who's sick, who's blind. And Jesus tells us to continue his mission as we are united to him, and we take up the same measures, laying of hands for healing. But we are not relying on ourselves. We're relying on the helper and the power of the Holy Spirit that will use this gift given to the church to bring about healing in people's lives. And so in a moment, our closing of our service, we're going to have this kind of open time. And this time is meant to be a time of contemplation for you, a time of, of preparation. The band is going to come up in a moment, and they're going to lead us in a song to prepare our hearts. And then I'm going to come back up and explain to you again what's going to happen. But here's how we're going to engage this promise together. So we're going to have communion on the sides, which we want to invite you, if you are a person of faith and you believe in Jesus and you've surrendered your heart to him, to prepare your heart to take from the Lord's table the acceptance of Christ's body, which was broken for you, and his blood, which was shed for you. But before you come and take communion, we want to give you an opportunity to be prayed for. Now, you can be prayed for in one of two ways because we want to recognize something that there's, we're all in different places in our race of faith. Some of us are here tonight and are saying, I know exactly the brokenness in my, my mind, in my heart, a relational struggle a trauma that I'm facing, an addiction that I have, I know very clearly what I am asking God to heal. And so you are ready and willing to have the elders who will be up here to pray healing over you and anoint you with oil. And some of you say, maybe I'm not ready for that or I don't know, but you can receive a general prayer. You see, we are as God's people to be praying for each other praying for one another, believing in the power of prayer when we gather corporately. So the band's going to come up in a moment, 
and they're going to lead us in a song just to prepare our hearts. Then I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to invite you over the course of about 10 minutes. So we're going to have plenty of time. So I want to encourage you, don't everybody line up because we're going to have one line here. I'm going to have Phil and Daniel, two of our elders and their wives, up here. And when you come forward, with whoever's open, you just come to them. And they're going to ask you this question. Would you like to receive a prayer of healing? If the answer is yes, just say yes and for the shame I struggle with or the addiction that I have, whatever it may be. And if the answer is I just want a general prayer, then you can just say general prayer, please. And they'll just pray a general prayer over you. You know, we should be praying for each other in that way. Once you come and receive prayer from them, either a general prayer or a specific prayer of healing, you can come over to myself or Simone and uh, we'd be honored to serve you communion. So we're going to take some time after this. I'm going to re-explain again. Just to trust God's promises. To believe that God will heal whatever is plaguing you through this gift given to the church. So will you pray with me as we prepare our hearts now through song? God, we come before you tonight, maybe in a practice that is foreign to many of us. But it's not foreign to you. It's a gift that you have given the church that you've asked us to engage. To believe. To trust in. So I pray right now, God, for any of us that maybe have never received a prayer of healing. Have never had a drop of oil anointed on our heads before. Would you... One, call to mind the very thing that we need healed, but would you also, God, give us the courage to say, yes, I, I need prayer for this. Believing, God, that you are working through the Holy Spirit, you are near, that though we are filled with you, Holy Spirit, through faith, that there is a refilling that happens when we come before you and we trust your promises. So would you fill us again, God, Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts and our minds and our souls in this moment? Would you give us hope and belief and faith that you will heal the very things that are breaking down within us so that we might run the race well? And God, would you reaffirm to us in communion after receiving prayer, God, that you have broken your body and shed your blood for us. How could we not trust you? Your victory is ours. We believe this. We claim this. We pray this to you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as we just sing this.